on SAFM. The Treaty of Berlin has in many respects still alive in the context of what we talk about when we talk about mining. Of course, the latter day conversations have evolved into include, among others, Zamazamas. The state of mining in South Africa, we are here in this show to interrogate and challenge the successes of the mining charter on the background of what has just recently been concluded, the mining indaba that took place in Cape Town, the 28th of its kind. My guest this evening is a member of the Minerals Council, the Senior Executive for Public Affairs and Transformation at that Ndadebelo Shabani. Tebelo, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to SAFM. So good to have you. Good evening, Songezan. Good evening to your listeners. Let's talk in broad terms what the mining charter is all about, its status as is being enjoyed by members of the mining community, particularly the mining companies, and from the policy custodian perspective, the minister or the Ministry of Mineral Resources and Energy. What is the strength of this mining charter with these two very strong bodies, that being capital and that being of policy and grantor of the license? Well, look, sometimes, I mean, we the mining charter has been around uh, for some time now. I think we were the first uh, uh, instrument driving transformation. I think the liquid fuels guys produced one a one-pager before us, but, you know, ours was the first uh, substantive uh, transformation instrument, even before the BE codes and what have you. So it's been helping drive transformation in the mining sector now uh, for nearly over two, two decades. And uh, and the results kind of show, you know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, no other sector in the economy has produced the, you know, the kind of black industrialists that we have produced in the mining sector. So it's it's certainly been a success. If, if, if I can go on, I mean, you know, if Please. you um, if you look at, um, our, you know, uh, I would say, you know, just Google the, the top 10 or the top 15 richest black South Africans in the country, and you'll see that the majority of them, I mean, at least either 7 out of the 15 or 10 or, or more, made their money in mining. And, and, you know, and some of them are still in mining. So, it has certainly delivered on the policy of uh, government to produce the black industrialists. I mean, so that's one element of it, and we'll go into others. But one will argue that, yes, that, that, that wealth has not been broad-based, and I certainly think that's a valid criticism, but it, it was designed to, to do that, and certainly that's what it did. When we look at some of the other elements... Uh, Please you know, elaborate we, on that. I mean, if you make the concession that the critique could be that the broad-based economic empowerment has not been as broad-based as broad-based was intended to. How then can you say the design was intended as it is? To the extent that I've misheard you, please correct my understanding, but I'm, I'm, I'm here of the view, and that would have been my next question, whilst one can appreciate in the context of building black industrialists, that is what among other things, the mining charter and the terrain of government policy at large has facilitated for. But that's precisely the critique in broad-based black economic empowerment, that it is isolated and often follows a pattern of those who are connected. 
a more stronger term would be kleptocracy. That's not the allegation, of course, but it would be associated in certain instances to that. Whereas broad-based would and should include, for instance, where those mines are situated, those communities should resemble the amount of wealth that is unearthed, quite literally. There should be opportunities for development. The outdated, antiquated migrant labor system that draws on cheap labor from, broadly speaking, southern Africa, it should have been dealt with. It should have facilitated infrastructure for, one, the movement of those persons, but also the protection of those persons in instances when they no longer have the strength and muscle to perform their duties, silicosis case being case in point, and the vulnerabilities their families left at home often endure. For instance, the breaking down even of the traditional family structure. These then, in that context, are real um, indictments into or of the mining industry that to the point that it can't, it cannot really, I would say, is Ngombe, is Fubi, it cannot beat their chest in pride because whilst it has succeeded from a capital perspective, and there's a jury out as to what succeeded might mean in this context, it, it comes at the expense of legacy issues. 200 years on, since discovery of gold in Johannesburg and diamonds in Kimberley in the height of Cecil John Rose. Yeah, yes, that was quite a bit. I mean, let me try to deal with some of these elements. Um, I mean, look, this, the reason why I say it was thus designed, I mean, I think we, we, assumed, we adopted a similar policy to what the Malaysians, you know, what the Bumi Putra. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yes, I mean, you know, we we suffer in the same fate in that what it's done, uh, it's, it's produced, I guess, you know, some of these um, oligarchs, you know, very rich oligarchs in Malaysia. And I think to some extent it is done so in SA. But now what what we've done in SA is move to more broad-based black development empowerment. Now, every single transaction that you have seen in the last decade would have focused also on uh, share, option, share options for communities and the employees. I mean, you know, I mean, if you look at the Kumba uh, scheme, where the employees, I mean, employees there were did very well in terms of, you know, cash, cash in the hand. Um, so we've had some very successful schemes, and yes, we've had some that were not successful, successful at all. Now, mining, I mean, you, you know, one. The mining charter was certainly there to address some of the legacies of the past. But, I mean, as you were saying, I mean, it's over, over 150 years of, of mining in a South African context. There, there's certain legacies that mm. will take equally long to, to, to remedy. But this charter was a way of trying to remedy some of those uh, legacies. Now, let me, let me maybe point, talk to some of these issues that are a little bit more broad-based that impact employees. You know, hostels were converted into single occupancy or family rooms. Um, employees were given living out, living out allowances. Yes, uh, unfortunately, a lot of them didn't go uh, live in solid structures, were and, and and a lot of them had lived in shacks. But you know, we've been encouraging home ownership in the sector. Now, I want to come on to something that is often spoken about in mining and. And, and, and yet the legacy of mining was the exploitation of cheap black labor. Now, um, and, and that is there. I mean, nobody can excuse what happened in the past. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to try to. 
that technically happened. But what we've got to look at is now, what are mining companies doing now? I mean, so if you look at the wages, this was last year's wages, the, and if you look at the total guaranteed monthly pay for entry-level unionized underground workers, yeah, we're talking about entry-level, some don't even have a metric, entry-level unionized underground workers, their guaranteed monthly pay is between 17,000 to 25,000 rand per month. Okay. Now, yes, these are unionized uh, workers, but you go compare those kind of wages to a teacher's salary or uh, some other skilled people in, you know, in various professions. I mean, I mean, it, you can't even compare it to the agricultural sector. I mean, our wages are way above that. But compare it to uh, our non-skilled workers, to skilled workers, and then you realize that mining companies, miners, are actually paid relatively well. And if you talk to our counterparts in places like Mozambique, where, yes, there are still quite a lot of uh, workers that come from Mozambique, and even in, in the context of South Africa, from Eastern Cape and all of that. But let's just focus on Mozambique. You know, speaking to the Mozambican embassy and, and you know, over the years, we, uh, when, when people from Mozambique come and talk to the Minerals Council, you know, I've asked them, you know, how are miners perceived in your own country? You know, they've told us that they make up the middle to upper middle class members of their society. They're the ones that have the funds to be able to drill boreholes, to, you know, fix their houses, property, to invest. So, yes, um, South Africa has, uh, and the mining industry has this legacy, bad legacy of mining. And yes, it is still uh, pervasive today in, in some respects. I mean, as you, you've spoken about some of the consequences of mining in the past. But, you know, so, at least so there have been efforts to really reverse some of these uh, some of these legacies, and, and you can see the, you know, in terms of the wages that are paid to mine workers, in terms of trying to improve their living conditions, in terms of trying to improve the safety uh, and their health, even also the working conditions. So, so the industry has been taking steps for the better. Now, another element that you raise is that towards the communities. I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges that and, and is that well I can understand the policy of the country is that the mineral wealth of the country does not belong to those that find it where it is near their own backyard but it belongs to the country okay so the royalties from mining are not paid to nearby communities those go to the general fiscal and you know and the taxes that are paid clearly go to the general fiscal and those are substantive. I mean, if you look at just 2021, uh, South Africa, even before, if you look at uh, before COVID, I mean, the economy of the country were, was already in, in trouble. And uh, it was the mining industry that came to the rescue of stabilizing the country's fiscus in the last two years. I mean, if you look at the 120 billion rand extra taxes, um, if you, in terms of the medium-term budget policy statement, of that 120 billion rand extra taxes received, 92 billion came from mining. So, 
mining companies are acting locally in terms of what they're trying to do in their social and labor plans, and we can talk to those just now. But um, by far, I'd say the biggest benefit is goes to the country at large. Now, in some countries, they structure it so that some of those royalties, um, you know, let me tell you the exact figure for royalties that we paid, it was... Look, um, let's, let's look at bogged down in the figures, and I certainly don't take away what benefit one can look at in the context of this country and the contribution of the sector in broad terms. But I think if we are to make the necessary headway and to broaden the discussion and, 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 and of course, even demystify certain myths that continue to exist absent a platform of this kind and a conversation of this nature, then we should probably just continue in that context. It's, it certainly is my proposal. But what I do want us to look at is South Africa's global standing, for instance. You, may, you mentioned comparisons to our neighbors, Mozambique. I mean, just even on that example, many South African miners do not have a faintest idea of what it is to be in the middle class, to be able to do the things that their counterparts across the road are able to do. That's just an example. To engage the question of whilst all these figures to which you make reference, appropriately Please so repeat too. that again. I don't, I don't understand what you're no, saying. What, what, what I'm saying is let, let us look at the shortcomings of the industry. Let us look at these shortcomings which really lend themselves or lead to some of these socio-economic issues that continue to be grappled with by the country. An example, I'm going to forget the Mozambique South Africa example that you made reference to. Sibanya Stillwater right now 10-week, they're involved in a strike, deadlock in relation to wages. The optics of that do not look good in relation to a CEO who is then going to pull $300 million in a salary, in an environment where there is a deadlock on exactly that issue by the majority of the people employed there. And now, t- I, I don't need to tell you what happened 10 years ago at the same institution on a copy in August. But no, these sorry, are the things, for I'm, instance, we need yeah. to demystify. So if I'm bringing in stereotypes which are not researched, yours is to correct me here and now. But when I sit where I am and I engage the sector and this industry, it is replete with fundamental fissures that this country can do away with. Yeah, but I mean, you're looking at only the negatives. I'm also trying to point out what some of the positives. And, and I think you should have, you know, the Stefania guys on your show and talk to them about about that. I mean, I'm not one to talk to the details of that and the, how that remuneration is made up. I understand um, that. your member. Is that yeah, correct? But, 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 you know, let's, you know, look at the negatives and look at some of the positives. Mm-hmm. I think that the challenge that we face as a mining industry is that, you know, um, it's very difficult to talk about the positives of the industry. You know, one, I mean, we're like the only sector of the economy that we're, you know, mining companies can't go and even get a, a, a scorecard, uh, you know, based on their charter that can show their level of status because, the, you know, our regulator just doesn't provide for that. You know, so it's very difficult for mining companies to say, hey, this is our B credential. And that's Other a serious problem, isn't it? Because it doesn't allow you to then change the narrative that prevails. I mean, that that, that is something that equally I have a responsibility to interrogate following, for instance, the concession you're making here. No, absolutely. And and please do interrogate it, you know. We've been calling on our regulator, even now, I mean, this is the third third iteration of the mining Mm. charter. Mm. We've got this mining charter. I mean, we we always publish how we as an industry are doing in terms of the charter. 
And and uh, if you look at the last charter, we, there was substantive compliance with uh, you know many of the elements of the charter. And you know we're on our way now, as you can understand, to implement uh, the current uh, charter. But it's very difficult for us to be able to uh, show how we do as an industry if our regulator doesn't allow us to 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 report in a standardised manner that is like that that can make sense to everybody and provide us with the you know the scorecards that they should be providing. So that is certainly one of the big challenges that we have. Another thing that we've been calling for is you know we don't have a a, a a, a transformation uh, council, you know, a mining industry transformation council, where you have all the stakeholders, you know, communities, unions, um, uh, the miners themselves, and any other stakeholders discussing transformation on a regular basis. We don't do that. You know, we do it every five years, then we start talking about transformation. That's unacceptable. We have been calling on a mining for a mining industry transformation council so that we can be engaging transform about transformation on a quarterly basis. We are not the ones that are anti-transparency relating to the in the mining sector. So, so I agree with you. It is you know you know do expose these things because that's that's what it is. Quick question: Is the mining charter incapable of addressing that shortcoming? If not in the long term, in the short term. The, the, the shortcoming of not being able to, for instance, have these guidelines which are going to come from the regulator. Why is it not possible or why has it not happened, if I'm understanding you correctly, that the no, mining no, no. charter okay. might not deal with that? No, okay. So let, let me explain this better. Okay. So whether you have a mining charter or whether you have a B code, okay, they, um, you have a... So for instance, with entities outside of mining, Mm-hmm. They can go to a BE rating agency, yes. and they will give them a rating based on certain guidelines, standards, and what have you. I'm with you. Now, what we do as a mining industry, we are mentor, we report, and we do annually to the regulator. But now, previously, there was a standard reporting template, and then so that the regulator could then report to say, this is how the industry is doing. With this mining charter three, they have not provided any standardized reporting template. So... As it is, companies are just reporting as and when they as, as and when they please because there's no standard reporting template. We have wanted to come up with one, but the regulator said, no, 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 they will do it. But we still don't have it. The challenge with that is that um, you know, you know, I mean, you're reporting on apples and pears instead of reporting in a in a in a uniform manner. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be very difficult to say, well, in terms of mining charter three, how has the industry transformed? That's really the challenge. That Very well. Let me move on because I'm running hopelessly short for time. I, I, I do want us to talk about Zamazamas because this is something which the mining industry, if it hasn't dealt with before, it absolutely will be dealing with or is certainly dealing with now. What does this say, the Zamazamas, and a lot of them, I mean, just recently, Many were caught, a majority of them were not even from the country. What does this say about SADC and, and, and mining in the SADC region? What does this say about our borders? What does this say about our national integrity and sovereignty, and in particular the protection of our minerals? I mean, this must be, I, I'm asking this question in broad terms, and I might not even be making sense. I just want what the Minerals Council makes of what is only but a serious challenge uh, to the sector. Look, it, it is a it is a major challenge to the sector. I mean, 
And look, but, but South Africa is not unique in, in terms of uh, the extent of, uh, you know, you call them Zamazama one in one country, you call them something else in a different yes, country, yes. illegal mining. Yes. You know, um, now, and you must draw the distinction between what we call the Zamazamas of the illegal miners um, that work with the, and, and, and provide the minerals to syndicates and uh, that are essentially, essentially controlled by international syndicates. We must make the distinction to that and our small-scale artisanal mining. Now, you, you do, as in many countries in the country, have people trying to earn a living um, from, from, from mining. Now, they, they do so in a very non-violent manner, and they would love to get themselves organized and legitimized, if at all. So the policy of the, in the country is that let's try to legalize and legitimize those that want to actually be legitimate, you know, small-scale miners. Okay, but the Zamazamas, on the other hand, is a totally different uh, thing. I mean, that is, it is, I mean, some of those Zamazamas go underground with, with weapons. It is an illegal activity, it is very violent, it is controlled by uh, criminal syndicates, and it is and it is a multi-multi-billion rand business. Now, it is very difficult to police that, unfortunately. We can't even tell you the extent of the... Well, what of, makes of policing difficult? Religion. I mean, because presumably that territory or that mine still has a title deed holder, let me say. It, it, it has a no. Granted, no, the mine is not? Not at all. Not, no, no, no. okay. Not at all. A misconception. Thanks In for fact, clarifying that. Yeah. So what tends to happen is that they, the, the Zamazamas tend to be mining um, old, old Disused mines and, that okay, were decommissioned spaces. and closed. You know what I mean? Those are the ones that mm. they tend to be at. Those are the ones. So... Um, Mines that were maybe not economical for larger mines, or on, on um, that will be mined later, those are the ones that they go into. They do also go into established mines, in that you you will see them going into. But that happens to a lesser extent. Sure. The big challenge of Zamazama is them going into some of these ownerless, derelict mines. Let me That's be controversial really on right. that. Let me be controversial on that, champion. What is so objectionable then? This mine does not belong to anybody. There is economic activity that that land can generate for the country, especially in these times. But generally, there's economic activity that that land offers. Forget for a moment that they are non-South Africans, to whatever the extent they are non-South Africans. Why can't there be a secondary, let me call it that for lack of a better term, mining process or granting of mining rights, particularly for the purpose that the initial mine itself has run its course. Now it still has mineral deposits there that could be unearthed and create a secondary market in the mining space. I hope you get my question. What is so objectionable yes, to that? No, no, no. Thing, thing is, I mean, like I said to you, let's draw the distinction between people that are trying to eke out a living, you mm-hmm. know, through mm-hmm. uh, small-scale artisanal mining, and that that do and try to do so. Uh, in a in a manner that is non-violent, mm, you know what I mean? Mm, mm. That is different. Let's help. Let's help legitimize those. Because yes, you're right. I mean, there are some mines that are not profitable for the large mining companies, but will be profitable but, uh, for, for me at an individual industry. level. Yes. Oh yes, absolutely. So there's there's nothing wrong with trying to uh, trying to legalize. At the end of the day, though, mining is a hazardous activity. I mean, I you can be dealing with a lot of it. So you want to formalize, you want to legitimize so that 
they themselves aren't polluting the water that that, that their neighbors are going to be utilized, that they're not, uh, uh, you know, creating big dongles that uh, children are going to be falling into. So it's a very different thing where you're trying to legalize and legitimize those that want to be legitimized and legalized. By far, the majority of of um, Zama activity is, is illegal activity. And yes, it tends to happen uh, with a lot of uh, um, undocumented uh, migrants. It is, it, is, it is violent. It is controlled by criminal syndicates. Make no mistake, it is a, it is a, it, it, these are big empires that are uh, hugely profitable. Um, they pay no taxes. They, they, they don't observe any uh, regulations and laws. Um, so that's a totally different ballgame. I'm actually keen to have this conversation, perhaps. I think what is clear here, I didn't do my research as I might have preferred to, and I do apologize to the listeners who have come to expect better from me. But, you you know, the more we talk, the more I then have questions, and maybe that also lends itself to why I was a little scrambled and all over the place in this conversation. What I don't at all dismiss is, one, this conversation is but a start, not supposedly the end of it. Two, we need more Absolutely. of the stakeholders in the sector involved. And I do think the shortcomings, it's nice to have um, success stories, of course they are. But I think those success stories against the challenges and issues, um, they, 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 they need to temper our enthusiasm so that if we can deal indeed with these challenges and the issues that remain our kryptonite as a society, certainly as we see and have seen in times past, I, I do want to get to that because I think the sector, um, certainly with its influence, should get a more coverage, for better, for worse, and, and, and unearth that's, these I, conversations within the conversation. Yes, it is. I mean, that, that's why I'm here, you know, at uh, first nine. I, I, I want to get it out there. And you're right. I mean, you know, it must be a balanced analysis, you know. It's not all rosy in the mining sector. I mean, we were talking about transformation earlier and, and to and be showing you some of the highlights. We still certainly have some way to go in, you know, improving the gender representation of our workforce, you know, getting a lot more women into mining. You know, the world over, though, unfortunately, mining is probably the most masculine type of uh, uh, profession you can get out there. If you look at the stats globally, maybe uh, second is construction, you know. Um, so it's just, it, it tends to be one of those vocations that is dominated by men globally. But in the South African context, actually, we think we're doing a lot better than um, other parts of the world where we are actively trying to get more women into the sector and, and into various roles, not only technical but also managerial. So we've still got a long way to go in some instances. And, and um, we haven't even gotten to speak about the fantastic social projects that we do. And yes, there are some fantastic projects out there, but is it is it doing enough to alleviate the poverty where the mines are? Oof, that's a different story. You know, that's a different it, story to, the, to be Is continued. it up to mining only? No, I don't think so, too. You know, I mean, uh, you know, I think also if we could get some better service delivery in a lot of the areas where the mines are, we would have these challenges. So it's a it's a complicated story. Yeah, it certainly is. And I appreciate the fact that you actually have a passion to speak. And But I, I have to literally now cut you. We, we, we have to move on. The next story is nigh. Thank you so much for your, the conversation. Thank you so much for the insights. And, and, and I appreciate the fact that we actually spied here because I don't propose that I was trying to show you up, but I wanted to tease the issues out and get the facts out and get the conversation going so that we can have 
and mining conversation 2.0 very soon. Ndade Debelo Chabana, thank you so very much for your time. 2137.